The Poorly Made Police podcast is for entertainment purposes only. This podcast has explicit content and is meant for mature audience. The views expressed on this poorly made podcast reflect the opinions of the guest and host. They do not reflect the opinion of any department or entity. Nothing on this poorly made podcast should be construed as legal or marital advice. If something offends you, I kindly invite you to lighten the fuck up. If you want to support this very poorly made podcast, click the link at the end of the description and become a monthly sponsor of the podcast. Or buy yourself some nice poorly made police memes merch. Not only does it look good on you, it's also a favorite of wives, exes, children, nurses, nuns, IA investigators, defense attorneys, and the chief. And of course, take care of the fine sponsors of this podcast. Now sit back, relax, and enjoy the orgasmic sound of a crown vic. Hey there. How are you guys? I hope this podcast finds you well. It's time for another edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. This podcast, I speak to the man, the myth, the legend, Pete James over at Officer Privacy. Pete's had a little bit different journey in law enforcement. Obviously, some guys do military and get into law enforcement, but Pete didn't jump into law enforcement a lot of the ways that we normally do. So we'll hear his story, what he did, some leadership tips, which are amazing, And then we'll jump in a little bit about life after law enforcement, which is not something we've talked a whole lot about on this podcast. And I think for different people, you know, 40-year career is what they want. Some guys want to do 25 and get out. Some guys are excellent cops, do 5, 10 years. I'm not talking about myself. I mean, a little bit. But there are guys that, you know, maybe only do a decade and are like, you know what? I've had my fill. I've had enough. doesn't mean they're not good cops. I think... Sometimes, and I've been guilty of it too, maybe somebody leaves and you're like, oh, whatever. It's a tough job, man. It is a really tough job and you can definitely grow out of it. doesn't mean you can't come back or because that's something that's happened too. But the main point is there is life after law enforcement and you got to think about what that's going to be. So Pete dropped some uh, wisdom on that and I really liked it. So with that said, we'll just get right into the podcast. But first, let's play our uh, band with a law enforcement member. And this week we got up City Slickers with their song Tonkin. We'll be right back with the podcast. All right, and now the moment you've been waiting for. The podcast I've been looking forward for a long time. The man, the myth, the legend behind Officer Privacy. I have Pete James. How are you, Pete? I'm doing terrific. How are you today? Uh, I'm I'm doing okay. I'm getting over a cold. I think anybody that's listened to the podcast will think I've been sick for like two weeks, but I've recorded like three in a row. Perfect timing being sick, but I do have my officerprivacy.com mug with some lemon tea in it, so it's making me feel quite a bit better. Excellent. Excellent. Glad you're getting good use out of it. I am. It's a. It's actually, I think, one of the first things I got when I, I kind of solicited, like, hey, I need stuff for my uh, my recording studio. And uh, you were the first person I think I got anything from. So I appreciate you. 
Yeah, uh, and those are not for sale. I I do a limited run and only send them to very very important people. So what you're saying is I'm sort of like a VIP. You are definitely a VIP. Oh, that makes me so happy. My mom's going to be so proud. So obviously before uh, officer privacy, you were in law enforcement and, and we've talked about you a lot on my podcast, but it's nice to, you know, this is my first time actually talking to you over, you know, other than, you know, little side chats. Um, we talked about you a lot on the podcast, but it's, I think it will be great to get to know you a little bit more. So prior to officer privacy, you were in law enforcement. How long were you in law enforcement for? Uh, I did about 25 years, a little over 25 years total. Now you were out in California, right? Uh, I did my law enforcement time in California and I escaped a couple of years ago. You escaped, huh? Is there, is there like something going on in California? Why people would move? I, I thought that was the greatest state on earth. Uh, it, it has its benefits uh, and um, <laughs> 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 yes, it, 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 there are some things that are really, really good about California. Uh, but I decided to move a couple of years ago, and we are now in the beautiful state of Arizona. Well, George Strait said there's oceanfront property there too, so I think it's probably pretty similar to California. It's a little warmer, but we have air conditioning everywhere you go. Yeah, I had a, a friend move to Texas, and I was like, "Aren't you worried about the heat?" And she's like, "It's not like I stand outside all day. There's everybody has air conditioning. It's you know, it's not like the Oregon Trail days. Right. So it's it's a good point. So." We, we talked a little bit before we started recording and you could, kind of had an interesting story about how you ended up getting into law enforcement. You want to tell the millions of people about that? Well, uh, I'll go back just a little bit. I, at 17, I hadn't done really well in school and I was, uh, I was working at a very, very good fast food place and uh, went to- Was it in out No. Oh, I thought you, no. that was like a hint at in and out, in and out. Okay. <laughs> and so I, uh, I joined the Navy and I lived on an aircraft carrier for a few years, did a couple of cruises. And, uh, at the time they had a program where you do three years active duty and two years in the reserves. So I did my three years active duty and, uh, was out by 20. I had a really interesting job. I was an intelligence specialist and, and I loved that. Uh, but I looked at the officers and how they were treated. And I looked at the enlisted guys and I, and, and the only difference among us was that uh, the officers had college degrees. And so I had not been too interested in college before, uh, but that definitely got me motivated. So I left active duty and went back to school and ended up finishing my degree. I was on, uh, I was on the fast track. It took me nine years to get my bachelor's degree, but there were a few uh, stops and starts in there. And actually during that time, I started my law enforcement career, but I did finally finish up. So not quite like Tommy boy, I might be referencing the wrong movie. So don't, don't everybody get mad at me, but you weren't like a college senior for like 800 years. No, no, no. Uh, there were some, there were some good gaps in there. Yeah. I, I respect the people that kind of go back and forth and, and get, I guess what they need for college. I think, me personally, I think going to college straight when you're 18 and you don't have any world experience, you don't know what you actually want to do, I think can kind of be dangerous and people end up with a whole lot of debt where I think maybe a little more life experience, you go out and you do something and you see things, you're like, oh, that makes sense to me. I want to go to school for that. Definitely. And I, and I'd always recommend the military for anybody 
who, who doesn't have a clear path on, on where they want to go. Um, you'll learn so much and, and see things that, you know, you don't see anywhere else. So one of the things you did before law enforcement that I thought was interesting, cause I, I spied on you in LinkedIn and we'll talk about LinkedIn a little bit is uh, you were, you did process serving for a little bit. And my question to you was my, I have this grandiose idea of process servers get to wear like costumes and funny mustaches to go serve people. Am I off base with that? There's a little bit of that. Uh, kind of like cop work. It, it looks all, you know, what's displayed on TV is not necessarily reality. There's a lot of, you know, more routine things. Uh, and, and there were some times that we had to go uh, make some extra effort to serve someone who was, who did not want to be served. Uh, but I worked for the DA's office. And when I started, I literally did not know the difference between like a prosecutor and a defense attorney. Uh, I didn't know what a, what a defendant was, but for two and a half years, I, I did that job. And that was, um, that was a good job. That kind of got me introduced to the law enforcement community, which uh, the next step was uh, becoming a sworn officer. And so you started in the late eighties, early nineties kind of thing. We'll jump around a little bit, but uh, one of my, I like to ask people that have been around for a little bit, because everything right now that's going on is we think is wild and insane, but I know the nineties kind of had their own, I guess, I don't know the right way to articulate this, like anti-cop sentiment with, you know, everything that happened around like Rodney King and the, the Watts riots and stuff like that. What was the public opinion of the cops back in the nineties? Much you're always going to have your element of those who are anti-police, but back then they were the fringe. It was like, well, you know, they're there, but you know, you've got your inmate loving groups and you've got your, you know, criminal loving group, but they were like, they were the fringe. They weren't anything close to what it was now. And I started in 89 and in the early nineties, yeah, we had Rodney King and, you know, that was a big, that was a big wake up call to us and a big shift for us because, uh, I did my law enforcement time in Sacramento, California, Northern California with the sheriff's department. And we always really looked up to LAPD. They set the standards. They, they were the tip of the spear. And now I have my opinion of what happened to Rodney King based on doing a lot of research and watching a lot of the analysis, um, you know, it was what I remember from that time in my memory from watching those videos is that uh, every single time Rodney King complied and laid on the ground, the batons stopped. When he pushed back up to try and get back up again, they started in again on him. So you know, the public perception of that was that it was this, you know, Rodney King got beat yet. If you really watch the videos, when he is complying, they are not using the batons on him. Anyway, that was, that was a big <laughs> thing for us uh, in the it's 90s. Kind of like how things are now, right? Where, you know, there's people watch these videos and I swear we're watching different things. Yes, absolutely. I, like the Dages. Uh, you're obviously mm -hmm. familiar with that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I can't believe that that is even a thing. That was one of the most routine things I've ever seen. Guy stands up on your blades, you cuff him up. No big deal. And the fact that that, you know, he got charged and lost his job and 
you know, half the people that watch that video is thinks, you know, he's totally out of line. And, and I feel like the rest of us are just watching this like, okay, what, what's the issue here? Yes, I agree hundred percent. The, the people that have an issue uh, don't know anything about law enforcement. They are being ultra sensitive to any use of force. Uh, that was an extremely low level of force, literally putting his hands on him and um, gently almost uh, pushing him, him down back to a seated position where he then took his hands off. I mean, that was it. Uh, but it happened a couple of days after the George Floyd incident. And um, it was just, they were just, they were just ripe for making a huge deal out of, out of nothing. I don't know. It, it's just mind boggling. I don't even know, know where to start with all that. But so in the nineties, things were a little more fringe. It wasn't this huge, like you feel like, you know, at least I can speak for me a couple of years ago, it felt like kind of the world was against you as far as if you were in law enforcement. I, I think it depends the neighborhood you work. If you work in a community that clearly does not want you there, you know, considers you an occupying force because they want to do what they want, then, you know, you're going to get that attitude. If you work in a, in a different community that appreciates or at least tolerates law enforcement, then it's a different feel. And I've worked in a community that didn't want us there. And I've, and I ended up working um, the majority of my career in a community that, that appreciated us. And so it was a, you know, that was a good experience. Yeah. I, I'm hoping that if uh, I make my return to law enforcement, it will be a little bit different environment. I think that'll change my view a little bit or a lot again, jumping around a little bit, but I think it's relevant to what we're talking about. The officer, pri- your, your business officer privacy, have you faced any backlash for having a company that's has a, the name officer in it and B, you know, what you guys do as far as, you know, pre- protecting the identity of police officers. So on social media, we'll get some haters every once in a while, uh, but I've really learned uh, how to uh, block and delete. Uh, I don't get a lot, but when I do, I just, I just block them. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot simpler. I, that's generally what I do. I don't even, it's not even worth engaging these folks because you're not going to be able to tell them anything. They're not rational, I guess is the best way to put it. You're not going to be able to comment something back and they're going to magically change their mind. And as much as I'm a big believer in open and rational dialogue, a lot of these folks, you're, you're just not capable of having a conversation with them about anything. I think lots of cops can look at the George Floyd thing and say, yeah, those you know, cops came out and said, yeah, that was messed up. I think before anything happened and it didn't matter, didn't mm-hmm. matter that cops said, yeah, we're, we don't support that. It, it, it didn't matter. All of a sudden, you know, every cop on the beat is, is Derek Chauvin. But I, I guess as we're talking about, if any of you guys, you know, you are on my page or any of these other pages and those folks engage you, it's not even worth your time. You're not going to do anything to change their mind. They're set in their ways as far as that type of stuff. So just a word to the wise. Yeah. They're not, they're not engaging in a conversation because they want to learn or hear from your perspective, they're shouting out their opinion. So if you engage with them, it's simply wasted energy and time. And you can tell that based on the comment that they're, that they're posting. They're not asking a question. They're not interested in learning. They're interested in shouting and you're not going to change their mind. 
I think that's a, a big problem some of these police departments has had is they've engaged in those type of folks thinking they want to have a conversation and they don't. And then I, this is something I heard from an old salty guy, but I, I kind of think he's, he's right, is a lot of the folks that are causing issues for police departments, you're not going to do anything to change their mind. Anything the police department does to try and pacify these folks is not going to change their mind at all. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't be held accountable to the public and all this stuff, but I, I think, I think police departments and policing overall have kind of lost their way and in, in what, what police departments do. It's, you know, it's simple. Serve mm -hmm. and protect, right? The old, the old serve and protect type thing, enforce the law, make sure people are safe. That's it. You know, and, I think they've done a terrible job of education, but I think the education is more geared towards um, folks that don't even doesn't, doesn't matter what law enforcement does. They're not going to like it. Um, mm -hmm. How often have we seen the, the videos where the cop doesn't use any force, does everything great. And there's still complaints about, you know, Oh, he, I didn't like the demeanor. He talked to that guy, or I didn't like this or that. You're not going to change the mind of these people. Yes. And they're, and they're anarchists. I mean, they don't want any government at all. So since we represent the government, it doesn't matter what we do. They are not going to be happy with us because we are the government, Yep, a government, even though we're the best country in the whole world and people literally die trying to get to our country. We have the greatest country in the world with freedoms that the majority of nations out there do not have. We are the best country ever. And you have some people who hate us, who hate the government, and they really don't know what's out there. They're so uneducated, they really don't know what's out there. And those people, you can't get through to them. They can we can't get through to them. They yeah. have to come to the realization themselves, but they have to want to learn. And if they're not willing to learn and really take a look at what else is out there, they're not going to figure that out. And us shouting at them is not going to change their mind. Just like when fringe groups shout at us, it, it doesn't do anything. I like that, you know, the, the greatest country in the world. And I absolutely believe it is, even though, you know, there's a lot of crazy things happening right now, it seems like, but the fact that you can speak out against whatever it is that you want to speak out against. And that includes me and you and anybody else. There's a lot of countries you speak out against the government. You're going to jail if you're lucky. And, you know, obviously I don't agree with that, but I, I think we definitely, we don't appreciate what we have. That's for certain. All right. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back to the podcast. I want to talk to you about my buddy, Brad Williams over at police fit. You guys see him on the page every single Monday on Poorly Made Police Memes. Brad's going to help the new applicants and active officers smash their fitness and regain their health. Brad has 11 years experience in the fitness industry, 17 years in the military, and is also a first responder. He's going to share his experience and expertise to help applicants get their dream job and help active first responders regain their health. That's Police Fit, and I'll have a link for you on the podcast description. Back to the podcast. So you were in law enforcement for 25 years. What kind of different ranks and assignments did you hold? So I, yeah, I did uh, 25 years and uh, had a variety of assignments. With our department, 
uh, it was the sheriff's department and we um, also ran our, our jails. So what is a standard for us is after we get out of the academy, we are assigned to a custody facility, one of the jails, and then we'll do our time there until we rotate out to patrol. Uh, once you get to patrol, you can do a number of things. You can go to detectives. You can choose another assignment that we have, everything from um, arrow to canine to, you know, you can go work the airport or you can have a bunch of other assignments. Um, so I started in the jails, um, rotated out to patrol, uh, did a few years there, uh, ended up uh, promoting from there, uh, again, back to the jails, because even when you promote, you now go back. Uh, from there, rotated back out to patrol as a patrol sergeant. I worked uh, for a couple of years, our problem-oriented policing, which is you know half patrol, half detectives, uh, community uh, type things. Um, it, you know, it was some touchy-feely stuff, but we did a lot of enforcement. We did a lot of uh, undercover operations, everything from prostitution stings to drugs to alcohol, um, wide variety of uh, different enforcement. And then I went to detectives. So I was a detective sergeant uh, for many years, which is actually when I started in forensics, which is what took me to officer privacy. But uh, back to my career, uh, I did promote again um, and fin finished my career as a patrol watch commander as a lieutenant. Out of all the different assignments, what was probably your favorite? Oh, I enjoyed being the detective sergeant the most. Now, did you guys have different detective units or was it all kind of general? We do have specialized detective units. I was a station house uh, detective. We, we split up our geographical areas by uh, different divisions and each division uh, had detectives there. Uh, but we also, but our department overall also had specialized units. So I was a station house detective. I gotcha. So it, that sounds a lot like where I worked is you had that in each division, they maybe had like a, when I say division, I mean, uh, precinct kind of thing is they had mm -hmm. uh, persons, property detectives, maybe sometimes split depending on how, how crime, how high crime it was. And then overall they had traffic detectives and, um, homicide detectives, CAC detectives, ICAC detectives, all that kind of stuff. So general in-house were you guys handling like homicides and stuff like that? Or would that go to like the homicide unit? For the most part, homicides would go to homicide. Uh, we did do a handful of them, uh, but for the most part, we did the people crimes, uh, the assaults up to, you know, through assault with a deadly weapon. We did domestic violence, uh, missing persons. We did drugs. We did uh, the majority of the property crimes and then kind of whatever ended up in your lap. I gotcha. That's, that's nice. It's kind of a wide variety. I know people in my old department would kind of get that were in those kind of this, as you said, at the station house detectives, they would get kind of burnt out because it was all like, we had like a lot of burglaries. So it was, it was all burglaries. All they're, all they're doing is burglaries, you know, 24 seven. So it's nice that sounds like you guys had quite a variety of different cases that guys could get. Yeah. Generally, you know, when you first start out, you may get assigned all the burglaries, but you know, they can, you can switch it up. You can get a little bit of everything, or you can specialize in one thing. 
you know, it just all depends, but uh, I had a great team, um, really enjoyed working with everybody uh, during that time. The majority of them went on to have very successful careers. So it was a really, really good experience. What, in, in your opinion, what's your favorite type of case to work? Do you have a favorite? Well, this kind of leads into where I, where I ended up going. Um, we had a high tech task force and, you know, great guys, uh, but overworked. And this was right around 2008, 2010, we started getting computers in and we knew these computers had evidence on them, but if we were to send the case or send the computer to our high-tech task force, uh, it might be three months, six months, a year until they got to it and got the results back to us. So I had a really good boss at the time, the chief of police. Uh, and I went to him and I said, look, this is, this is what's going on. I know there's evidence on these devices. Um, can I start taking classes so I can start doing these cases in-house? And he's like, yeah, sure. So uh, I found the classes. Our, our California Department of Justice offered quite a few classes. I took uh, other computer forensics classes from uh, some of the, the software vendors. And because I had a boss that let me go where I wanted to go, uh, I was able to you know, pivot that into a career after law enforcement. So I would say the the computer forensics, digital forensics cases were the most interesting because, you know, it's challenging, uh, it's difficult, um, but the evidence is there. You just have to look in the right place and and find it. I, I guess before we move into more of the forensics type stuff, I, I wanted to lean on you a little bit as far as you were a, a sergeant and a lieutenant for a long time. Do you have any advice for guys that are guys and gals that are looking to promote on maybe some of the things you learned as a sergeant and lieutenant that didn't work and what did work as far as being a leader? I would say as a leader, your most important priority is taking care of your people. And sometimes you have to really go out on a limb to do what's right. And the good leaders will do that they will say, look, my guy didn't do anything wrong. Or if he did something wrong, he didn't have bad intentions. So we have to consider that and we have to do the right thing. Sometimes, and this didn't happen with me. I was really, really fortunate. I had good supervision. I had good leadership. Uh, I, can only, I can only point to one person that I really didn't like his leadership style that really personally affected me. Um, but that's one out of a career of, of 25 years. So I feel very fortunate with that, but still you got to look out for your people. And if that means your career is hurt, you're the one that put yourself in that position. You've got to do the right thing. And I'm not talking about defending people who did the wrong thing because they need to fix that. That's on them. Uh, but sometimes the department may want to um, discipline someone and you feel like, no, that's not, that's not right. And so you have to stand up for them. I'm talking specifically about, we had a case where uh, I was a patrol sergeant. One of the guys started in a pursuit. Long story short, he ends up 
we follow this guy for like, I don't know, 50 miles outside of our jurisdiction. He takes a freeway. We're on the freeway. He takes a freeway off ramp. Um, it wasn't your typical off ramp. It was dusty and dirty. And, and so he hit all this dirt. Well, when the bad guy hits all the dirt, the dust cloud comes up, the officer is following behind him. He doesn't see one of the, you know, exit little signs there. And so he runs into it because he couldn't see it. Well, the accident people wanted to, you know, put a letter in his file, discipline him for hitting the sign saying, well, he should have, he should have been staying back farther to, and, and he should have been able to see that sign. He was falling too close. And my thing was, dude, we we're asking these people to, to do something risky and dangerous. And yeah, he was falling behind him, but you know, he went from pavement to dirt. All of a sudden the dust cloud comes up. Uh, come on, you know, you can't discipline this guy. And so we went back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. And I didn't know it. Cause I was, I spent 10 of my years on, on graveyard. And so all this stuff was going on, but I guess it was because I would not approve the findings of the accident review board. And it, because I didn't think it was right. So, uh, ends up going up to the sheriff and he looks at that and he goes, no, we're not going to discipline him. So we, so we actually changed a policy, uh, based on, based on all of this. And I really knew nothing about it other than I kept looking at it saying, no, I'm not going to approve this, you know, this, this, he shouldn't be disciplined for this. Yes. It was an accident. Yes. He caused damage, but he shouldn't be disciplined for this. So I think you need to, you know, put yourself on the line for them when, when you think, you know, you, you, you got to stand with what you believe. That doesn't mean you shouldn't discipline people because I did, because you got to do the job and you got to do it well. And there's an expectation that you do the job well. So, um, but I, I would just say that you, you've, when you take a leadership position, it's not all about you. It's not about you at all. It's about taking care of your people. And that is the role. It's not so you can promote and, and enjoy the, the privilege of having a higher rank. It's so that you can take care of the people who, who you're working with. That, um, that warmed my heart. That made me feel good that there's people out that out there still in law enforcement. I mean, granted you've re since retired, but I, I'm sure that people saw what you did and it inspired them because I frequently I would feel like people, not everybody, but a lot of people would promote simply for that, the title, right? Like I'm a mm -hmm. Sergeant now I'm a Lieutenant now. And they didn't take on the responsibility that came And I, I completely agree is law enforcement should be held to a, a higher standard. I I've never, you know, I, I think sometimes people think all oh, cops, you know, they let cops get away with everything. No law enforcement is, I think is held to a high standard generally in most places. But a high standard shouldn't be an impossible standard. And I think that's what it's become for a lot of places is impossible. You can't, they're, depending on how something looks or can be perceived, that's, that's the standard you're held to is, is, is unreasonable standards. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So to jump back into forensics, because I am interested, it, it's, a unique thing, like obviously, you know, I do some stuff online, but I, I'm kind of ignorant when it comes to computers. What type of crimes generally, when you say forensics, 
when I think of that, I'm generally always thinking like, you know, child pornography, stuff like that. Are there other types of crimes that I'm not thinking about that forensics comes into play? Computer forensics comes into play. Yeah, it's funny. It's it's like almost every single crime can have a digital element. So, um, so I explained how I got into forensics and we, so I started doing some cases that came in and, you know, this was on top of my regular workload because then I was, I was working as an investigator on those cases and analyzing the data and, and doing reports. Um, back when I started doing this, you know, 2010, 2012, the majority of the work that came in were on laptops. Um, I retired in 2013. Then I went back as we call it a retired annuitant or an on-call. And I went back and uh, did a couple more years. So I actually did a little more than 25 years, um, did a couple more years for our department's Intel unit. And I was supporting a, another task force, a drug task force. The majority of the devices that came in were all cell phones. So by 2014, 2015, 2016s, it had shifted from, you know, 9010 laptops to 9010 cell phones. So um, what kind of drugs? Now, I will also say that we were part of an ICAC task force, Internet Crimes Against Children. Uh, fortunately, I did not work any of those cases. When we did get one of those cases, we would send them off to the ICAC. And those are the, those are the kiddie porn um, cases. That's got to be a terrible job to like. Oh, awful. For that. I, I would not know part of it. Yeah. Awful. Um, you know, fortunately for me, the cases I worked, they were, they were cases, um, not, not those kind of cases. So I, I didn't have to see those things when I was doing the cell phones and I was, um, working for the, the task force, it was the Hyda task force. Um, those were all, those were mid to high level drug cases. So there would be communication on the cell phones, um, pointing to the, um, you know, the, the exchange of the drugs and the coordination and the buying and selling of the drugs. Um, but we had everything from, you know, a sex torsion case where we had a, you know, young girl got extorted into, you know, sending, you know, nude pictures and videos. Um, we had cases where we used the location data on the device to either, you know, put the suspect in a certain location at, at a certain time, or say that, you know, at least the phone wasn't in that location at the time. Yeah, so, I, I I have a kind of a quick story that kind of relates to leadership and cell phones and seizing cell phones. And it's, I just thought of it as we were talking, but I, I just, I kind of find it interesting. And I think everybody else will, depending on where you work in your department, a cell phone, you can, you're allowed to seize evidence. You don't need a warrant necessarily to seize evidence. And without going into the, all the details and case law, I had a case where somebody clearly videotaped a potentially a criminal thing. And a big time criminal thing, not like they, you know, they, a shoplifter, you know, was escaping kind of thing. This, this lady showed me this cell phone video. She wasn't able to send it to me and I wasn't getting it in my work email. And I said, Hey, look, I don't want to do this, but this is really important. I have to seize your phone. And so I took her phone. She starts yelling at me and the Lieutenant hears and he's, what's going on. Well, she has a recording of this. I seized her phone so we can, we can get this. 
He goes, no, give her back her phone. Then I proceeded to get yelled at by a deputy chief because I didn't take her phone. Just interesting. Sorry, it, it made me, uh, you, uh, you triggered me with that. Now I'm upset about that still. So the cell phone stuff's really interesting to me though, because beyond like getting videos, I, I didn't even realize you could get coordinates off because you can track coordinates out of that stuff too, right? So that all depends on the phone, the operating system. Back, I would say before 2015, 2016, we could pull the, all of the uh, Wi-Fi hotspots that a phone was picking up as they drove through a neighborhood. And it's not that it connected to it, but at least it tried to connect to it. But that's all changed now. So that was, that was back in the day. And, and that, was, that was a case we had where somebody said that um, a burglary had been done. We looked at the location data and the location data did not show that they were in the location of where the crime was committed. So either they didn't have their phone with them or uh, they were somewhere else during that crime. So I remember in that case, we ended up not pursuing, not pursuing it because we didn't have the evidence that would have put that, put him in that location, at least on the digital side. Uh, but everything has changed now. And every single, every single month or two, um, the technology, well, every day, the technology changes. Um, forensics is just a little bit behind it because the, you know, the technology changes and what it collects and how, how it stores the data. And then all of the software that collects and analyzes it needs to look at it first, figure out how to make sense of it, and then roll out the product to, to, to do an accurate uh, analysis of it. So um, I wouldn't even know. I've been out now for a little over a year. I haven't been, I haven't been doing hands-on forensics in a little over a year and that is a lifetime. So I wouldn't want to even speak as to what the current state of um, forensics is. It seems like now. it'd be pretty difficult to keep up on. One of the people wrote in and asked, you know, what kind of comp computer skills do I need to get into forensics? What would do you, what would your recommendations for that be? So I would say, you know, it, it really starts with, you have to love it and, and you have to really enjoy um, being challenged because there's a lot to learn. And the more you learn, the more you realize how much you don't know. Um, so I would say on the forensic side of it, uh, I will tell you my path. You know, I had an interest in it. We had a need um, and I, my boss said, yep, go ahead, you know, take the classes. So I started taking the classes and the classes were great. They were through, you know, California DOJ and the, and the vendors, uh, software training programs. And, but I realized that, you know, I could go do a deep dive into the digital data, but I felt like uh, I wanted a more broad understanding of computers. So my bachelor's degree is in economics and that was, you know, finished that up in the, in the nineties. Um, so I, I wanted this extra knowledge. I went back to community college. So uh, in the late, in my late forties, uh, I was back in community college and I was taking computer programming classes. I was taking networking classes, you know, just to get a, a good understanding of the back end of, you know, computers and, and forensics. And that really did help. I will say toward the end of my career, 
uh, I knew when I was going to retire. I knew when I was going to retire years before I did. And I would suggest anybody who is considering, you know, leaving law enforcement for a different career or is coming up on their retirement to start planning that several years before you go. Uh, I did it with computer forensics. I went back uh, to community college, got some extra education, got a lot of education uh, in computer um, and cell phone forensics. I did a lot of certificate programs. I think I ended up having, I don't know, eight or 10 different computer forensic certificates. Um, I've let them all go because I don't need to keep them up, but that's really important. So, but a few years before you go, start thinking ahead about what you're going to do when you retire. Um, when I did that, I had a plan. I was going to uh, immediately go back to um, law enforcement and do forensics for them. Uh, there was a little delay with that because the people who made promises and we came to the people I made verbal agreements with, when the time came, there weren't any positions open. You know, the budget wasn't there. So I eventually did uh, go back to a different division within our department, uh, which is where I worked for a couple of years and, and do that. So no matter what your plan is, it's, it, it's not going to, it's not going to happen exactly, but if you prepare for it, then, you know, opportunities will, will present themselves or you'll find opportunities if you look hard enough. It, and I just wanted to throw in there. I think people don't, I think a lot of people get into law enforcement and they think, all right, this is the only thing that I can do. I'm a cop. That's the only thing I know how to do. As far as people skills go, and that doesn't necessarily translate to a lot of stuff, is cops, problem solvers. We solve problems. There's a lot of industry and business that needs people that can talk to people and people that can solve problems. That would be law enforcement. I know a lot of guys that got into traffic because after their career, they can get hired by insurance companies and you know, work for insurance companies because they have this background in traffic investigation. So if you keep your eyes open, there are opportunities outside of law enforcement that you can use the skills that you've learned in law enforcement for a, you know, a second career or a different career. Absolutely. There are a lot of different opportunities. Uh, if you worked burglary cases or robbery cases, uh, corporations are always hiring uh, on the retail theft side, investigators and you know, we're not talking about the, you know, the frontline guy. We're talking about, you know, running teams of security for big corporations, uh, traffic experts. Absolutely. There are, um, there's a market out there for being an expert witness and doing that type of testimony. But if that's your, if that's your plan, I would definitely suggest um, making the contacts that you need to make years before you need them because you want them to, if this is what you want, you want them to have a job offer the day you retire, or if you want to take a month off or however you want to do it, but you want to have those, those options out there and those connections out there. I was very, very fortunate. I was working uh, as an on-call um, for my old agency. And uh, I had a very simple LinkedIn profile. It, there wasn't much to it. Uh, I didn't post. I didn't really try and go out and find new connections. It was very basic. And I got a call 
and it was from a, an executive recruiter. And she said a company needed the skill set that I had and uh, they needed uh, forensics and they needed supervision or management. And I had those both. So uh, one phone call led to another, which led to a few more interviews. And uh, within a month, I was working for an e-discovery company running the digital forensics team, uh, which, you know, we had, in, we had examiners in uh, San Francisco, LA, and New York, um, and a bunch of other part-time guys that we use in other parts of the country. So, but that was simply because I was on LinkedIn and somebody found my profile and reached out. Uh, in fact, I had three different jobs since going full-time to officer privacy. Um, and two of those jobs I was found because I was on LinkedIn and somebody found me reached out and then that ended up being a job. So now the more active you are on LinkedIn, the better, but I am not active on LinkedIn. I'm more active on Instagram, but uh, if you, if I would definitely suggest creating a LinkedIn profile, even if it's today, just to show some history, even if you're not going to retire for a while, create a LinkedIn profile, at least so that it's there, make it very minimal. Um, on the privacy side, I don't, I don't necessarily want you to uh, put a lot of information out there, but your status will change. Uh, but I do think it's important to have the time of having um, having the account dated. Um, that may be important down the road. Yeah, I was just thinking, man, I, I could make a, a LinkedIn because who knows, maybe I'll be a syndicated radio host. And I don't know how to quite articulate on there. Made a podcast in my basement for a year. Um, that might sound good on there. I'll, I'll, I'll doll it up. Where I'm really curious, where did officer privacy come from? How did that start up? So I mentioned I worked for a few companies between law enforcement and, you know, devoting full time to officerprivacy.com. Uh, one of the jobs I had there, I was doing online investigations. So dark web, deep web, the regular internet. Uh, and I was using these sites for my investigations. And of course, I still had connections with law enforcement and, um, you know, still tried to, to follow what was going on in the law enforcement community. So on one hand, I'm using these people search sites, looking for people and looking for their information. Um, and on the other are, is my, is my law enforcement, my law enforcement friends and my law enforcement background. So I knew these sites existed. I just thought, you know, now when I talk about sites, if you Google your name, put your first and last name in quotes, put the city you live in and the word address, you're, the results are going to be, um, the Google search results are going to be uh, sites like, you know, White Pages and Spokio and Been Verified and, and those types of sites, right? Those sites are exposing your private information, your home address, your birthday, your phone numbers, your email address, um, the names of your relatives, and all that information is out there. You don't need to pay for any of that information. It's all available from these sites. And um, so I always, I knew these sites existed. I just didn't think you could do anything about it. I thought, well, you just have to live with it. It's the internet, nothing you can do, but I was wrong. You can do something about it. You can remove your information from those sites and take your privacy back. Now you're not going to be invisible. 
there will still be information out there, like on news sites. If your department has a Facebook uh, account and they are posting, you will still be there. If your name is listed in a news report, your information will still be there. Uh, if there is, if there are any salary databases that show your name and your salary, they will still be there. Uh, but those sites don't show your home address. And I'm concerned about an officer's safety while they're at home with their family and kids. Uh, and when they're not home, when their wife is at home and their kids are at home alone. So that's what officer privacy is, is all about. But, uh, but jumping back of how it started, I was using these sites and I thought that um, what would happen if I, if I tried to take my, my information off of them? And so I went through a whole bunch of sites and it took me like six hours. And then I took my wife off the sites and it took me another six hours. I'm like, there's gotta be a better way. There's gotta be a better way to be able to quickly go through this. So I started with a simple Excel spreadsheet and looking at the sites and how the search results come in and really taking a hard look at it. And I thought if, if I can, how can I make this better? How can I, what can I do? So kind of evolved into, I hired a programmer and I said, okay, this is what I want to do. And I want to be able to do this quickly. So he came up with a, a great ideas and that has evolved into officer privacy. So what took me six hours, we can now do in uh, two hours total, but uh, one hour at the, at the first sitting of going through the top sites and removing your information. So I took six hours, um, got it down to, to one hour. Um, so then when we were able to do that, I'm like, you know, who else is doing this? What else, you know? And when I looked around, I didn't see any, any services that I would trust that I liked what they were providing. And so I started uh, officer privacy as a side hustle while I was still working 50, 60 hours a week on my digital forensics uh, consulting side uh, business and um, had it up and running for several years. And about 15 months ago, I made the decision to leave my full-time, very good job as a, a digital forensics uh, examiner manager and uh, go full-time into officer privacy. So um, now my, my full-time job is officerprivacy.com. I'm very curious, why is this information online? How, how does it even get there in the first place? What's the source, I guess? Well, so whenever we, we click those, um, we agree to any terms and conditions, we are agreeing to, for that company to share our information. So you get a magazine subscription, you get a, you get a package delivered to your house. Uh, you sign up for a warranty when you go to a home improvement store. Um, you, uh, there are many, many ways where your information is found and then sold to data brokers. So the data brokers collect your information and they collect it from social media as well. They collect your information, they package it up, and then they sell it to these sites, which then show your information as a listing on their site. And the idea for them is to make money either by uh, ads that are being shown on their website 
or uh, when you upgrade and uh, purchase their uh, full comprehensive report on you. So um, it gets there just from our, our daily life, just from, like I said, just getting a magazine subscription, getting a travel brochure, getting a package delivered. Wild. We're, I had this down the line in my questions, but since we're here, let's go with it. Do you have any horror stories about, you know, things you've heard from officers about what happened to them when they were doxxed and why they were doxxed and all that kind of stuff? There are many stories out there about officers getting doxxed. In fact, if you just, uh, if you Google that, you'll see many, many stories of officers um, getting harassed and doxxed at their home. Off the top of my head, Matt and Christina Degas, uh, within hours of that video going viral, protesters were at their front door. Uh, I also have a video on my Instagram of uh, Officer Brian. Uh, he was he arrested a guy for stalking someone else, and then he became the victim. Guy showed up on his front door, uh, wanted to prompt him to shoot him. You had um, you had John Mattingly on. Um, he was he had to move. Often though, what happens is we get the panicked call from either an officer or their department saying, you know, my name is going to be released. The DA, I was involved in an incident that my name is going to be released. Can you help me out? And we do the best we can, but it takes time for these sites to actually remove your information. So uh, the sooner you, you get on it, the better. And, um, you know, I, I do know we have been involved in several of those where we worked extra hard to get their information off as quickly as possible. Uh, and I follow up later. And fortunately, the officers were not doxxed. Um, their information was not out there. Well, the, the thing in Grand Rapids, and I brought it up on the podcast a few weeks ago, when that happened, even before the officer's name was publicly released, Comments and news stories, there were people posting where this guy lived, even before his name was released, which was, you know, a week later. So, and I'm trying to remember, and I'd have to look it up, but I know there was an officer, I want to say in Wisconsin, maybe Minnesota, that had been involved in an officer-involved shooting, maybe a few of them, and they surround, the folks, the folks, let's just say who they are, the, the, the Antifa-type folks surrounded his house, and he tried to go out there and talk to them and like somebody fired a round through his door or something like that. So this isn't like some made up thing. Like this could actually happen to you. But I think on top of all of that is the identity theft portion of it, which that can happen to anybody. That's not just, you know, we've all taken those like reports at the old folks home where, you know, somebody grandma has given away her personal information to the Nigerian King. That's not, exactly what identity theft is. One of the things I talk about, and I, I have free resources as well, uh, which will help with this, uh, which you can find at officerprivacy.com forward slash ebook. It's free, free 56 pages full of links. It's not a big sales pitch like many ebooks are. This is um, you know very useful information. Um, and, and in there, I talk about your email address and using two-factor authentication. And why it's so important, especially on your email. So let's say somebody can take over your, uh, can log into your email account. Apart from that, what happens if you forget your password at you know your bank, Wells Fargo, Bank of America, Chase? 
they send you a password reset link to your email. So let's say you have access to your email. I, I don't know your, I don't know your username or maybe your username is your email. I go to all these, all these banks and there are programs that will do this and uh, put in and, and try and log in. If you don't have the right password because they don't know your password to your bank, you do a password reset. Where's it go? Your email. Well, if you have control of your email, as soon as it pops up, you respond to it, you delete the email. That way you as a user never see it. Now they have a new password. Now they're in your now they're in your bank account. What do they do there? Well, they then they set up two-factor authentication. That way you can't get back in when you notice something suspicious. So for I always recommend for all of your accounts, but especially your email accounts, set up some type of two-factor authentication so that it's difficult. And even if somebody does know your password to your uh, email account, they need that second password to be able to, uh, to log in. So how do you get their email in the first place? You go to these people search sites, find it out. It's all right there. And what do people use as a username? Their email address. Every time you're kind of freaking me out. I'm like, Oh, I'm, I'm not very good at this stuff. I should probably, uh, I know what I'm doing after we, uh, we hang up here. I know, especially when all of this, especially last year when all the, you know, anti-cop stuff happened and even my department was involved in something where people showed up to the officer's house and were banging at their door. One of our Intel guys sent out this email and Hey, here's all these sites and here's how, you know, here's kind of a general idea how to take your information off. I went to two of those and after it was like, I felt like an hour, I finally had figured out what I was supposed to do. And then I look at this email. I'm like, there's still 28 other sites. I, this is, it's almost overwhelming. I, I know, you know, he even said on there, Hey, you might have to go back monthly to make sure your stuff doesn't come back on. Cause like you said, anytime, you know, you get mail or sign up for something new or whatever, your information just goes right back on the sites. Right. Yes. So, uh, let me go into a little bit more detail about officerprivacy.com and the, and the services we provide. So when I first started officerprivacy.com, we only offered our services where we would do the work for you. So you sign up uh, our team. I only hire current and former us based law enforcement officers. We go through the top sites, we remove your information and then we double check, make sure they actually did remove your information. And then we monitor your information comes back again. We remove it again. So that's our premium service. About two years ago, I wanted, I made the, software that we use so that we can quickly go through and remove your information. I made that software available for free. So anyone can sign up. You don't need to be law enforcement, uh, but anybody can sign up and you can use our software free for 14 days. After that, it's 10 bucks a month and we, and it's even less expensive if you, if you sign up for our annual program, it's just a little over $5 a month for the annual program for the do-it-yourself software or our quick removal software. So if you want to do it yourself, instead of, you know, printing out a, a, a workbook and making your way through all these sites, you sign up at officerprivacy.com, select option one, where you will have access to our quick removal software, create an account. And we have step-by-step -step, uh, instructions for the top 30 sites. Within our software, uh, we have steps, we have buttons. You always start, uh, click in 
step one, it opens up a new uh, browser window and then go back to the instructions. What do the instructions say? You know, fill out this information step-by-step, step, super, super easy. Um, we have written instructions for every single site and we have videos for uh, several of the sites, but it is so easy. After you go through the first two or three, you will just stay on our main page and just follow the steps and you'll be able to knock through it. Most people get through uh, the 30 sites that we have listed there in about an hour. And then uh, five or seven days later, go back. You're not going to need to check all 30. You're just going to check the ones that uh, have not removed your information yet. Super easy. You check those. And then, um, you know, a couple of days later, uh, you can check the final ones. If you want to keep it longer, which I recommend, uh, because you will get relisted on there, then you'll have access to all the links and you'll be able to go through and, and remove your information quickly. Now, I talk about the 30 sites and then I say also that we remove you from the top 50 sites. That is true. By removing yourself from the 30 sites that we have listed in our software, you will be removed from 50 sites. Many of these sites are parent sites to other child sites. The child sites are lesser known sites. When you remove yourself from the parent site, you're automatically removed from the child site. So by going through the 30 sites, you're getting removed from 50 sites. So that's our, that's our quick removal software. Again, it's free for 14 days. Um, no commitment, no time commitment, uh, cancel anytime. That's if you want to do it yourself. If you want us to do the work for you, again, go to officerprivacy.com, select option two, where we do the work for you. All you have to do is fill out one form. It's online. Uh, the information comes in and we take care of it from there. You don't have an account to log into. You don't have a new password to remember. We do everything for you. We will send you reports showing our progress and, um, and, and that's it. You don't worry about a thing. I mean, that for me, that's, I'm lazy. So that would be the way to go for me. I know a lot of people have sent me a message like, oh, thanks for sharing this kind of thing. Um, and even like, I think some departments are now signing up or like FOPs are signing up their guys through your service mm -hmm. too. So that's, that's awesome. Yeah. We, we, we talk a lot with groups and associations that may want to, um, to do that. I offer special programs for them if they want to, uh, if they want to do it. So, but I will tell you the, the overwhelming majority of the work that comes in, comes in from individuals. To move on a little bit, because I definitely have that like pit in my stomach. Thank goodness uh, I have office of privacy. I think enough of you guys have listened to the podcast and I've had a ton of people write in and say they've got it is it's scary, right? Like, like Pete said, you don't want people showing up at your door when you're there, let alone when your, your family's here without you. So, but I am a little jealous of you, Pete, because I follow you on Instagram and uh, frequently you're posting pictures with all these cool people that you've met. Um, during your travels for officer privacy. I don't want to put you on the spot, but who's the favorite, your favorite so far are the people you've met doing it? Yeah, that kind of does put me on the spot. Um, <laughs> I, I have been very fortunate that I've been able to meet some really, really good people who are doing a lot for the law enforcement community. And that is something I, I have taken away uh, you know, while I run a business and I have expenses to pay and I have people to pay, 
It's a little bit more than that because not only, you know, are we providing services to law enforcement officers who are, you know, on the front line, putting themselves at risk every day, but the community is the business law enforcement community is, is pretty small. There aren't really that many people out there who are, who have, who have done a really, really good job of transitioning from law enforcement and who market to um, the overall community. Um, and so I was, you know, I reach out to influencers and, and people and, and, you know, work out deals with them. And I reached out to one page and he goes, you know what? I, I like your service. I think it's really, really necessary. I'm just going to do a post. I don't, I don't want any money. I don't want anything from it. I'm just, I'm just going to do it. So he did, he, he posted uh, a shout out to us and it really took me by surprise because you know, again, we all have expenses, right? Stuff costs money on the back end. There's a lot of business expenses on the back end. Uh, so, but I really appreciated that somebody was willing to give me a shout out, asking nothing in return. So I've taken that and I have done that as well. I've given shout out to people just asking nothing in return. I, I, I did it just last week with DRT Soap. Uh, they are law enforcement owned. And I bought some of their products. I like their products. I, I'm currently using their products. I have and- the Crown Victoria soap. From- <laughs> I love those guys. They're great. Yeah. So uh, they are. I, I I just like doing that. Just asking nothing in return. Just as a way to give back to the community and say, hey, support. You know, support our fellow former officers who are who are on an entrepreneurial journey and help them out because you can buy soap from anywhere, but you know, if you're going to spend the dollars, you know, spend it with, keep it in the family. Yeah. I I like that a lot and not to go too off topic, but a lot of the, you know, guys like me and Mike, the cop and Mm -hmm. all donut operator and all these, these folks, officer Tatum, we couldn't say the things we say, when we were on the job. So, and I'm not like looking for like a pat on the back, but I think the, the voices outside of law enforcement that were in law enforcement, I think have done for the most part, a really good job of letting folks know on the outside, like, Hey, these are, this is what actually happens for cops. These are actual, you know, cause unfortunately police departments don't do a great job of explaining Graham V Connor and these other things. So it's, it's good that there's, I guess, advocates out there for, law enforcement. And a lot of them are entrepreneurs. And I think it does show there is life outside of law enforcement. You know, you with officer privacy, the guys with DRT soap, the uh, V development group, all these different people that I've, I've come to know and meet. There's, there's always something outside of law enforcement. And I think the, the community within social media and stuff, I think for the most part is really good for law enforcement and we all take care of each other and hopefully, you know, we're spreading to the word to the, the folks on the outside, like, Hey, cops are real people. Cops aren't, you know, the, uh, the uniform all the time. So I, I think it's a, a really neat thing. Definitely. And you're right. They can speak in ways that active duty officers cannot speak. And um, so their voices are, you know, they need to be heard. Absolutely. Um I, I did have a question for you referencing some of the people you met. You've obviously, uh, people know I worked for Dennis a little bit on street cop and I know you've met Dennis. 
what I need to know though, are the biceps photoshopped or is he actually that jacked? Oh, he's in really good shape. Yeah. He just like, he, he folds his arms and he looks like a monster. And I'm always looking in the picture for, you know, the marks and signs that it's been photoshopped. But I think that guy <laughs> basically uh, eats, you know, whatever Jersey pizza and fucking curls all day. So I, now there, there's confirmation. They are real and incredible. Yeah. And he's a great guy too. I mean, you talk about somebody who is skilled in so many areas. Uh, he's been successful in many, many different areas and uh, he's just a great guy. Yeah. He is a good dude. Well, um, before you go, I have a, a couple questions I like to ask everybody. Are you ready for them? Yes. Okay. So we talked a little, before we started recording, we, we talked about cars a little bit. Um, and, and you mentioned you're not like a big, big car guy, but in your opinion, um, of all the cars you drove while you were on patrol, what do you think the best one was? Uh, well, I'm going to, I'm going to recognize my audience here and I'm, I'm going to have to say it's kind of <laughs> very, I like that. I'm that totally wasn't forced or coerced at all. So mm-hmm. I, I like no. that. Mm-hmm. Um, Pete, do you have any words of wisdom for all the millions of people that listen to this podcast that you'd want to impart on them? I would say for the law enforcement officers still on the job, just know that the majority of Americans support you. They, their voices are not being heard because they're being drowned out and suppressed by both sides, uh, by both political, major political parties uh, for whatever reason, uh, especially, you know, the summer two years ago. Uh, so I just want you to know, America supports you. We appreciate you. We need you. So don't let them get in your head. Don't let the haters and the anarchists and all the crazies get in your head. Those crazies have always been there, but they're getting a platform now that they didn't have before. And that's wrong because they're crazies and they're uneducated. They're ignorant. They don't know what they're talking about and they have ulterior motives. So don't let them get in your head. Stay strong. You're doing an important job and we need you. Well said, Pete. The empty can certainly rattles the most. Well, you guys, thanks again for uh, turning into another edi- tuning into another edition of the Very Poorly Made Police Memes podcast. Do all the things you guys do to support me. It's uh, I, I mentioned it on a post the, uh, the other day. It's I can definitely tell, despite some uh, occasional throttling on social media, the the word is being spread on the podcast. There's lots of new listeners, so. Hopefully you guys uh, are enjoying everything. I'm, I'm trying to bring a little variety to everything. And I think this was a really important podcast and, and talking actually about some really serious stuff as far as your identity is concerned. Um, but yeah, click that link at the end of the podcast and uh, give me a couple bucks to help keep this podcast going. Uh, I've got all kinds of fun merch coming out. And then of course, take care of the fine sponsors that help make this podcast possible, including Officer Privacy, who has has been the biggest advocate, honestly, for Poorly Made. You guys know every Sunday that I've done, he's he's sponsored it. So with that said, uh, remember, sign up for Officer Privacy. And I love most of you. Bye-bye.